0: Hey there. Welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to Himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation, and comfort. Be blessed. Um this blessed life. This blessed life. I want to want to examine, want to look into the, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. I'll share some of my thoughts. We'll pray. If you have questions, you ask, peace and we'll answer, and we'll leave. Amen. So the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 1 to 11. Every veteran Christian, like Mama always says, calls us. Everyone who was brought up in church, went to church meetings growing up, is familiar with this. The first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And before Matthew chapter 5 is Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, um, Matthew describes the commencement of Jesus' three and a half year long ministry. He went to the wilderness, he fasted and prayed, was tempted of the devil, came and picked his first disciples. The concluding paragraph of Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, let's check it. Matthew 4, verse 23. It says, and Jesus, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. After giving an account of Jesus' time fasting for 40 days and his calling his first disciples, the narrative ends with this. It says Jesus went about teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. As soon as he says that, he enters into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter five is what we we'll call um, the beginning of the sermon on the mount. Veteran Christians know this too. Matthew, says the sermon on the mount is that three long, that three chapter long sermon, and the beatitudes, as we call them, are Jesus' opening remarks of the sermon on the mount. Matthew says Jesus went about teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and the first thing he records that Jesus says about the kingdom are the beatitudes the first things in Matthew records in Jesus's proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom are these 13 to 14 sentence long statements now before we go on the gospel of the kingdom i think it was January last year we went through a series on the kingdom of God by way of recap i'll point i'll bring some things to our remembrance um firstly In Luke 2.25, let's open our Bibles. So we'll open a lot of, we'll open our Bibles. We'll scroll, we'll flip papers, just be glorified. So Luke 2.25, I'll read from here. You bear with me because I'm using a paper Bible. Luke 2.25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose man was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Dr. Luke says, this man was righteous, was devout, was a Jew, and was waiting for the consolation of the Jews. A few verses later, verse 38. Verse 38. Talking about the prophetess Anna it says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So Luke says, Simon was waiting for the consolation of the Jews. It says, Anna was waiting for the redemption of Israel. Lastly on this point, Luke 23. Luke 23, that portion of the scripture that spoke about Joseph of Arimathea, Luke 23 Verse 50 to 51. I hope we open our Bibles. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision and action. That's speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. So Luke says... Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He says Anna and her company were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And he says Joseph of Arimathea was looking for the kingdom of God. So the first thing I can say about the kingdom of God from this series is that the kingdom of God is something the Jews looked forward to. The kingdom of God is something the Jews looked forward to. Now secondly, in Luke 10, we'll read... Luke 10 is that portion of the scripture where Jesus sent out the 72. In Luke 10, Jesus sending out the 72, verse 9, if you are writing, to proclaim the kingdom. And this is what he asked them to say. He said, wherever you go, say it out loud with your full chest that the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near you. The next chapter, in chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus was responding to those people who, who accused him of casting out demons by the power of a bigger demon. Jesus said, if God is the source of my power, Luke 11, 22, 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So, sending out the 72, he says, go everywhere and say, the kingdom of God has come near you. People came and said, Jesus, you're a fake. You are using demonic powers. He says, if the power I'm using is truly from God, I will know his power was God's. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then, lastly, in Luke 17, verse 20 to 21, I read the amplified here. Now, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he replied, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with a visible display. Verse 21. Nor will people say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. The kingdom of God is among you. Because of my presence, told the 72 to say the kingdom of God had come near them, told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God, because he was working in God's power, had come upon them, and told the Pharisees again in chapter 72, chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, that the kingdom of God has come among you because of my presence. We can say confidently here that the kingdom of God became a present reality on earth because of the presence and work of the incarnate Son of God. So the first point we made was that the kingdom of God was something the Jews looked up to, look forward to. Secondly now, the kingdom of God became a present reality on earth because of the presence and work of the incarnate Son of God. Finally, on our recapping points, Matthew 25 verse 31 to 32 I really like Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is is one chapter of parables and parables and parables about the kingdom. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 32. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and majesty, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his throne in his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him for judgment. And he will separate from one another, he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. Jesus here speaks about a kingdom to come. So, the kingdom of God is a future reality to look forward to. Now, bring these three things together. The kingdom of God was promised to and sought by the Jews, came in Jesus and will yet come in his return. The kingdom is here now and will come. What is the kingdom of God? Um, this picture came to mind when I was thinking. The sovereign God. I don't know how many of us, um, word of faith-ish, brought up people, Pentecostal people. people. Um, did I don't know whether you shared or you had someone share that deep arrive about the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Uh, so, um, I'll, Amen. I, will, I don't let me digress, but It's so dust. So does. Oh, the the scriptures, scriptures use them interchangeably. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. What are we saying? Are we, we are biblical Christians. We are five solar people. Is God not sovereign over the universe? The sovereign king of the universe reigns supreme. Not in doing throne. He reigns supreme. And the scripture testifies that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 34 to 35. But the occupants of this corner of his kingdom, earth, couldn't even with fallen angels. We committed treason. We rebelled. We rebelled against God's rule. And Ecclesiastes 7:12. In Ecclesiastes 7:12, the preacher says, he says, God made mankind upright, but he sought out many schemes. God made mankind upright, but he sought out many schemes. Anything to say, God, we don't want you. God, we don't want your rule. Earth and its occupants became a rebel people, a rebel land. But this king of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, because of his love, came to Abraham and in his descendants, Israel, he mapped out for himself in the midst of this rebel land, a quarantine zone. He gave them regulations about his preference, his definitions of justice, his definitions of love, his definition for sin, for right, for wrong. He chose them as a people for himself, his first steps in recovering this rebel land. Eventually he came, he came in the person of the son and the son through his message and actions put the power and beauty of the kingdom of heaven in display. And by his death and resurrection and the giving of the Spirit, he inaugurated the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom came in Jesus. Hallelujah. And after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven. Heaven, where we could call the capital of the kingdom of God. With a promise to come back on an already fixed date. And to reclaim this entire rebel colony for himself. The kingdom will come. Hallelujah. So God is not Thanos. God does not need um, God does not need the infinity stones to wipe out the world of sinners. But he chose not to. Because of his love for us. Not that we are indispensable, but because his own are precious in his sight. God's desire for mankind, for humanity, is to impose what to Titus, bring out a people zealous unto good works in the kingdom here and now, and a people who will reign with him in the coming kingdom. Like Paul, like John said in Revelation, Revelation eleven fifteen, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So the Father, by the work of the Spirit, translates everyone who believes in Christ Jesus. Into, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light. Colossians 1.13. Last thing I'll say in recap. On the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And the business of the kingdom on earth here and now is the reign of God in the hearts of men. The business of the kingdom on earth here and now Is the reign of God in the hearts of men. The business of the kingdom is the business of souls. Souls regenerated. Souls translated into light and empowered to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's the business of the kingdom. Souls. So back to our text. Matthew 5. First 11 verses of Matthew 5. Back to what we call the um, opening lines of Jesus' commencement speech about the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, even the word Beatitudes, the etymology of the word, um, betrays what we think about them. did Sierra's in junior class. The Beatitudes, what the attitudes of Christians should be. Amen. So what, what are the Beatitudes? Are they rules? Are they commands? Are they instructions? Are they promises? And whose are they? So Matthew's account of the Beatitudes lists them in a series of statements. This is what he does. He'll mention a category. Oh, I'm doing what Pastor said I'll do. Okay. You uh, men- mention a category. Then you'll say a form of blessedness that accompanies them. Um, blessed are the for they shall have blessed are the, for they will be blessed are the, for they. That's how much you lays it down. But Luke also paints. Um, Luke tells this story in Luke six. Let's open Luke six. In Luke six, a parallel account. And something very interesting about Luke's own account. You guys see. So Luke also does the category and blessing. Category and blessing. After doing the categories and the blessings, he then follows this with curses. Matthew says, if you do this, if you are in this category, you are blessed in this way. List everything, Luke does this, they are dead. But if you do not, if you are not in that category, who are you? Then he says the opposite of that blessing. We'll check it now as we go. So let's start. The first beatitude: Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Someone say in spirit. Luke 6 verse 20 to 24. Let's read. Luke 6. Verse 20 to 24. Alright. I read from here. And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor for yours is is the kingdom of God. Now, let's read verse 24. That's the course. We've, 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 said the, we've seen the category and the blessing now. Blessed are you who are poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. Thank you. Now, verse 24. Let's go. Hmm? Not blessed though. No heaven for rich people. Amen. I know that's not what he was saying. That's not what I was saying. Matthew gives a nuance. Matthew gives a nuance. How many of you noticed that? Okay, let's go to Matthew. Put your hand there. Then go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Luke just says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Matthew says, in verse 3 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. In the amplifier it says, Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Now, the blessedness of becoming a part of the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever belongs to this category of people, the poor in spirit. This poorness in spirit is not primarily a description of their economic situation, but of the state of their soul. The Amplified says they, they are devoid of spiritual arrogance. They regard themselves as insignificant. Poorness in spirit, this speaks to an acknowledgement of the spiritual bankruptcy that every man and woman descended from Adam's share. The poor in spirit acknowledge the spiritual bankruptcy that every man and woman descended from Adam's share. It is a state of spiritual destitution that every human being ever born, save the incarnate son of God, shares. Spiritual destitution spiritual bankruptcy, all have sinned, will fall short. The poor in spirit acknowledge it. The poor in spirit acknowledge their destitution in God's sight. They acknowledge their helplessness in the face of the wrath of the holy king of the kingdom of heaven. And they acknowledge their need for his mercy. So, back to Luke even though there is a positive correlation between amassing material wealth and refusing to acknowledge your spiritual destitution, being boxed up, having money, having three, four, five, six talents is not a disqualifier for the kingdom of God. What disqualifies you from the kingdom of heaven, from the blessedness of having the kingdom of heaven, is finding your consolation in anything other than the mercy of the king. This is what disqualifies men. Anyone who thinks they can have a standing in the kingdom of heaven, outside the robe the king gives by his mercy, he is disqualified. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the rich man who acknowledges his need for God's mercy, and receives the gospel of the kingdom. Has an assurance of the kingdom of God. The poor also. Who, those who walk through the earth barely having enough to live on. The poor. Who receive the gospel. Are assured of becoming a part of the eternal kingdom of God. That now is and is to come. Hallelujah. So Why are either rich or poor? Only the poor in spirit belong to the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To so the next beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. I like this one particularly. Blessed are those who mourn. The blessedness, please, um, the, the blessedness of those who mourn is what? Matthew 5. Let's check our Bibles. Let's check our Bibles. Matthew 5. For they shall be comforted. The blessedness of comfort is reserved for this category of people, those who mourn. This broken world is filled with landmines of pain and loss. Landmines of pain and loss and everybody will collect. Amen? You experience pain. Amen? Amen? You will mourn. <laughs> but those who belong to the kingdom of God have as an internal and eternal presence the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Keep your fingers in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. John 15, 26. In my own church, yeah, my school church, my home church is Jeba. My school church is Victory Baptist Church. Shout out. So, my school church is Victory Baptist Church. When I was in Ogomorchow, I attended Victory for like five years. There's one auntie in the choir with Mike. Nobody opened Bible fast, which her sister. As soon as Pastor is seeing it, she don't open. So, he just gave her mic. So, as soon as Pastor says, she got married last week. Funny enough. As soon as Pastor says, she stands up and she reads it. But yeah. Matthew 15. John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So I'm reading from verse 25. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, From the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So transition, render it as helper. Others, comforter. The Holy Spirit, poured out by Jesus, is our help and comfort. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, have the Holy Spirit, As an internal and eternal presence. In Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three and four. I want us to open that portion of scriptures too. Second Corinthians four, one, verse three and four. Blessed be the God, and Father of our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. He is called the God of all comfort. This comfort is not an exemption from pain and loss. This comfort is in spite of pain and loss. It's a form of comfort that is the exclusive reserve of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you who mourn because petrol is almost 600. Um, Blessed are you who mourn because you got fired. Blessed are you who mourn because you lost that job. And minus nose screws now. Blessed are you who mourn because your aunt died of breast cancer. And your uncle died of lung cancer within the space of one year. Blessed are you who mourn because you lost your mom. Because a, a church brother broke your heart. Blessed are you who mourn. For you shall be comforted. And apart from mourning, personal loss, there is also the anguish of, of yearning for the capital city, for heaven. There is there's also the anguish of, of yearning for the return of our King and Lord. Romans 8 paints this portrait. You mourn because of the weakness of your flesh, the, the residues of the fall in your body and mind. Like Paul, you are saying, who oh, will deliver me from this body of sin? body of death. You mourn because of the presence of sin in you. You, you, the child of God, the citizen of the kingdom, mourn because of the presence of sin and evil in the world around us. He says you will be comforted. Luke 6.21, the parallel portion, says, Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. There is a certainty of eternal comfort and laughter for all those who eagerly await the return of the king and the establishment of his kingdom. We know for certain that this momentary affliction works in us an eternal weight of glory, eternal comfort. Lastly, um, on mourning and comfort, there's something off about people who claim to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven and whose desires, aspirations, and pursuits are void of any yearning for the homeland or your, your ambitions, your plans, how you spend your resources have nothing to do with the business of the kingdom. You are comfortable here. Luke 6.25 says something about you. Luke 6.25 What to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Anyone who lives their lives, who leads their life here, disconnected from the, this grief that every child of God shares, this grief of, I can't wait for Jesus to come. Everyone who does not have the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, Maranatha, come Lord, We weep. But blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who mourn, for you have comfort. You have comfort in the presence of the Spirit. And you have comfort in eternal joy that will be revealed, that is appearing. Hallelujah. Blessed are the meek. Let's echo the blessedness. That's the category. What's the blessing of the meek? They shall inherit the earth. Now, this is not a promise of end-time wealth transfer. Amen? Uh, Just a couple of months ago, actually, if you asked me that what does it mean that the meek will inherit the earth? I'll say it means one of two things. Either Jehovah's Witness will take over or there are physical and material blessings that come to those who obey God's leading in their day-to-day business. And even though there is a truth to this, even though God blesses his children, God orders our steps um, to lush pastures in this present life. Even though God gives us good things to enjoy, I'm pursuing this category and its matching blessings speaks to something more. Psalm 37 Psalm 37, believers open their Bibles in church. Amen? Psalm 37, God speaking through the prophet Moses, David says, I read here. Fret not yourself, from verse 1 to 11, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass, and they will wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Fret not yourself, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, it will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and the, and, and delight himself in abundant peace. From the beginning of the chapter, God's spiritual David was contrasting between two kinds of people. The evildoer... Those ones who lies, those ones, those ones who, he says, they have evil devices. He says, um, he says, he says carries out evil devices. Then he paints this, he calls them the wrongdoer in verse 1. Then he paints another a portrait of someone else here. He says he's faithful. He says he humbly and trustfully waits for the Lord. Those who humbly and trustfully wait on the Lord have the blessedness of inheriting the earth. What does he mean? the meek, those who delight in the king, those who commit their their lives to him, verse 5 of um, Psalm 37, those who delight in the king, commit their lives to him and faithfully and patiently follow his will even at the cost of a place and an inheritance in this world the Lord says you inherit the earth he says you are meek your friend thinks you are slow say you are missing out. Your colleagues at work, they think a boat must be missing in your head because you let that opportunity slide. Your parents think you are wasting your time following the Lord, spending this much time in church, giving this much to the things of the Lord. Your parent thinks, I don't know why Sam is not in church today. Your parent thinks you are wasting your time going to seminary. Following the Lord's plan, Jesus says, You are meek, you are blessed. Child of God, you are blessed. Why are the meek blessed? 1 John 2:16 says, For all that is in the world are the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It says it these are not from the Father, but are of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The meek will inherit the earth. Your following God is costing you opportunities. It's costing you a placement. It's costing you relationships. In the year and now, Jesus is saying, calm down. You are choosing to take up your cross to deny yourself and follow the king and it looks like you are missing out. He says, calm down. You are blessed. He says, calm down. You are blessed. You will inherit the land. I wish I had more words. He says, calm down. You're on the right side of the game and this game is fixed. We know who wins in the end. Your own team wins the game. Your king wins the war. Result for you, child of God. In Christ's coming kingdom is an eternal, undefiled, and imperishable inheritance. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth being meek. It is worth delighting yourself, giving your life, giving yourself over to him for to the next because of our time. I'm already becoming pastor where we right now. All right, but amen. Amen. Blessed are those. I'm sorry for doing the amen thing. My parents are SU holiness pentecostal people. So we do is to do call and call and response amen very well in church. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is the blessing of this category? Sir, ma? They will be satisfied. If you are using the best translation of the Bible in the world, ESV. They will be filled. Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness will be filled. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. John Piper loves this verse of scripture. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Eternal, unending pleasures come with the presence of the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And everyone who desires to be filled, we have this blessing of satisfaction. It will never happen. That one will approach the throne of the king of the kingdom of heaven saying, I want, I want this pleasure at your right hand. And he will send them away. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm, um, is that I'll ah. I remember listening to that, that sermon for hours in my room in Lautech. They preached from Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Let's read it. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money and without a price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Come and eat good and delight yourself in rich food. Desire is necessary. Yes. Desire is indispensable. For those who will be satisfied, the, the only thing it requires is come with your thirst. No money. I'm not paying any ninety dollars for any psalm. Come with your thirst, desire. Hunger and thirst is indispensable, is a prerequisite for entering and making progress within the walls of the kingdom of heaven. No one will enter the kingdom of heaven who does not, like the Philippian jailer say to like the Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Nobody will enter who does not cry out like the man on the road to Jericho. Jesus, have mercy on me. Hunger, thirst, desire for righteousness are necessary for coming into and making progress within the walls of the kingdom of heaven. First Peter 2 1 to 2 says, So put away all, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. And envy and slander like newborn infants. The same way newborn infants desire milk. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up in your salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There is no progress in knowledge. There is no progress in comprehension. In your experience of God. In your experience of the endless beauties and glories that are in him. Without thirst and hunger. The first thing the enemy does to, 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 sh- to stunt your growth, to stop your growth, to suspend your growth, is to take away hunger. That place where you... There is no need to press for that. That place where you, you read your Bible as a routine in the morning. And you are not desiring. There is no growth in godliness There is no growth in sanctification. There is no growth in in your stability in the things of God. There is no growth in holiness. There is no growth in usefulness in God's vineyard. Outside hunger and thirst. There is no progress in sanctification. Apart from a relentless desire and pursuit of God. In prayer. In the study of the word. Thirst and hunger after righteousness. There is no shortcut to your spiritual growth. And it cannot happen on autopilot as well. Hunger and thirst is something you cannot drop. Those in the kingdom of heaven, you must hunger, you must thirst. Only those who seek his kingdom and his righteousness will be filled. For those who hunger and thirst will surely, progressively, and eternally be satisfied with God. Hallelujah. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. What is the blessing of this category? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There is a mercy that is reserved solely. For those who show mercy, this is probably my favorite of the Beatitudes. You will see why now. There is a mercy reserved solely for those who show mercy. Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verse 23 to 27. Matthew 18, verse 23 to 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. <clears throat> who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him, who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, that payment may be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him. He did what to him? Released him and forgave him. Let, let, me, let me paint the picture. Why, why did this guy say, pack him, pack his wife, pack his children, pack everything he owes? Let me explain. One talent is the, is the monetary unit worth of about 20 years. How many years? 20 years of a, of wages for laborers. So... If um, a laborer is working every day every day for 20 years, he's one talent. How many talents does this guy owe? Let's check. 10,000. 200,000 years. It was impossible for him to pay back his debt. Even in a lifetime of servitude, but he was shown mercy. And with regards to God, with showing mercy, it, God moves first. God is the ultimate initiator of mercy. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 4. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 4. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked God made the first move in mercy. God in Christ has mercy on whoever believes. God made the first move. Now let's go back to Matthew eighteen, verse twenty-seven to thirty. Matthew eighteen, verse twenty-seven to thirty. Verse twenty-seven. Now let's let's start from twenty-eight. Now where do you at twenty-seven? But when that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred naira. The hundred naira is one day's pay. One day's pay. He owed his master many hundred thousand? Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. One day's pay. <laughs> and seizing him, began to choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded, have patience with me and I will pay you. Almost the exact same words he said to his own master. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. He did not show mercy. Just after he was shown mercy, he missed this guy that owes him 2K and he chokes him. Let's continue. He refused and went and put him in prison until he had paid all his debts. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servants as I had on you? And should you not have mercy on your fellow servants as I had on you? This right here is the the picture of everyone who claims to have been forgiven of his treason. His treason against the sovereign king. You claim... He has taken you off death row by your faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice, but yet you abhor unforgiveness and bitterness against a man. You declare the death of 200,000 years, but you hold on to an offense of one day. See the king's words again. He says, ought not you to have had mercy as I forgave you. I don't know if you see it yet. There is no such thing as one who has been forgiven who does not forgive. The scripture does not give that balance. It does not hold, it does not hold the forgiveness of the king and unforgiveness intention. There is no such thing as one who receives God's mercy. In Christ, but adamantly refuses to show mercy to men. Every offense fades into insignificance when we apprehend the gravity of our sinfulness and the weight of mercy shown to us in Christ Jesus. The hearts that cannot, that cannot give forgiveness, the hearts that cannot give mercy, has not caught a glimpse of God's display of mercy in Christ's sacrifice. You have not seen Christ. It's why Jesus in the prayer of the disciples, the the Lord's prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not because we forgive them, not if we forgive them, but as we forgive them. We have been born again by his great mercy. We have received mercy. So we show mercy. And we are confident that when he appears, like Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5, that we are not destined for wrath. Like Paul says in Thessalonians, we are destined for mercy at his appearing. So those who have received his mercy will lead a life of mercy. And when he comes in his kingdom and glory, they will receive mercy. So blessed are those the merciful, those who show mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. Let me breeze through. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart will see God Psalm 24, verse 3 to 5. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 5. Let me start here. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Purities is singleness, integrity in composition, integrity in purpose, integrity in focus. and the pure in heart will see God. Matthew 6:22, let's open Matthew chapter 6 verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The eye, is to this, the eye to the body is what the heart is to the soul. Let me flip it. The heart is to the soul what the eye is to the body. It makes sense that Paul says in Ephesians 1:17 to 21, that it's only when your eyes The eyes of your heart are flooded with light that you will be able to see, to know, and apprehend all that God has given, all that God has revealed by himself in Christ Jesus. Purity of heart. Purity of heart. Luke 21 verse 34. We can't read because of time. It says, be careful, watch, lest your heart be weighed down by dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this world. Things that snuff out the purity of your heart. Purity is an old and forgotten song. Even amongst those who claim to be within the walls of the kingdom. The heart that will see, savor and apprehend God in all his beauty must be separated unto him from the world. Only the pure in heart We'll see God. Second to the last beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. For what? For they shall be called the sons of God. So to start, I don't think this peacemaker is talking about um, pacifism or climate change or SDG 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 targets or humanism or doing good for the sake of doing good doing good because you love the planet. First Timothy 2. Verse 1 to 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. So firstly, I think it speaks to the heart of the king for us to live a quiet and peaceful life, dignified in every way. This group of people do justice and commit themselves to the well-being of others because it pleases their king. But there is more to being a peacemaker than being a stellar citizen. Verse 4 of this first Timothy 2 says, let's have from theory. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him. Now, open fast to Ephesians 2, verse 12 to 16. Don't forget, though. It is pleasing to him who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Now, Ephesians 2. Are we there yet? Ephesians 2, verse 12 to 16. Remember? Remember? That you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Hallelujah! Christ is the ultimate peacemaker, and he reconciles to the Father. Everyone who comes through him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, verse 17 to 21. Because of time, I'll just read from here. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. Amen. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that he is in Christ. God was reconciling to the world, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to them the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we as ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God reconciled us, And recruited us as agents of reconciliation, agents of peace, peacemakers, sons of God, bring the peace Christ has bought by his blood to those who need it. This category of people have the blessing of being called God's children, they are ever prepared. Their feet are ever shod with the gospel of peace. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no divorcing the the privilege of being called the child of God from the responsibility of being an emissary of the gospel of peace. There is no such thing as I'm a Christian. But that gospel, sharing the gospel thing is not really my business. Sons of God are emissaries of the gospel of peace. They are peacemakers. Our certificate of citizenship um, doubles as a recruitment. We are always about the kingdom of the business. Hey, the business of the kingdom. Amen. 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 It's, please don't close your notes when you are talking in front of the church. I um, want the business of the kingdom again. Thank you, sir. Souls. Lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted. I want to read this one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't think verse 11 is another beatitude. I think it's a continuation. And I know big shots that agree with me, so... Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on your account, on his account, Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. The children of God on earth are a minority group. And our values, the values of the kingdom, are a proper 180 from the ways of the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Whosoever will live a godly life will suffer persecutions. You will be opposed. So whatever, whatever version of the Christian life you are living, that never spurs the world to revile you, to make jests of you, to snare at you, is fake. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8-11. to I'll try to quote it. It talks about how we should love the brotherhood. Talked about how we should not be scared because of the fairy trials that have come upon us. Because the same thing is shared by the brotherhood throughout the world. So it is normal in the kingdom. It is normal. Matthew 5 that we read says they persecuted the prophets like that before you. Isaiah was sown in two. Jeremiah was thrown in a well. That countryman in in Niger State was beheaded and the video was was sent to his, his people. The Coptic Christians were killed. Deborah was stoned. the prophets were reviled, so whatever version of the gospel you can preach and sinners and those who deny Christ can receive, retweet and type amen too. is no gospel. Closing, Luke 6:26. Luke 6:26. What to you when all men speak well of you. For well, that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. What to you. If you are not reviled for the cause of Christ, if you are not reviled for righteousness' sake, there is something wrong. But for those who are persecuted, reviled, opposed, for those who persevere in the face of opposition, there is laid up A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has prepared for you. Hallelujah. So yeah, these are the Beatitudes. So what are they? Are they instructions, commands, promises, warnings? Me personally, but I don't think the Lord intended them to fit into any of those categories perfectly. I believe what the Lord was doing was painting a portrait of the quality of life that those who through faith would become citizens of the kingdom of heaven will have. Even as they walk through this broken world, the Beatitudes are a a painting, a picture of what normal should look like for the disciple. He says, you'll be poor in spirit, but the kingdom of heaven is yours. You will mourn, but you have comfort, and you will yet have comfort. You are meek, but you are blessed because you inherit the earth. Your father will own this entire joint. Just wait. You will hunger and thirst. And I will fill you. You will show mercy. And you will receive mercy. You will be pure in earth. And you will see in ever increasing dimensions the glories and beauties of God. You will see God. You will see his power. You will see his presence. You'll be a peacemaker. You have a reputation of being a son, a child of God. They'll persecute you. They'll revile you. They'll block you. But you are blessed because you have an unfading inheritance in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.